I wonder if you've ever thought about the soundtrack uh, to your life. Are there songs which, when you hear them, bring back memories of moments in your life? Songs that just spark something in you. And because of that, they speak to your soul a little bit. We were having a meal out with some great friends of ours a couple of weeks ago. And they were telling us how a bit later on that week they were going to see Brian Adams in concert at Cardiff Castle. Does anybody remember Brian Adams? Okay, hopefully this is going to go all right then. So they were going to see Brian Adams. And his most famous song uh, goes like this. This is how it starts. Got my first real six string... Bought it at the five and dime, played it till my fingers bled, was the summer of 69. Well done. Thank you. I was wondering how that would go when I was prepping for today. was the summer of 69. So that's uh, probably his most famous song. And it's one I, can, I, I know most of the lyrics for. I could sing to you if I could sing. Uh, and uh, nobody needs that. Um, but it sparks memories in me. Maybe I think it was probably one of the first albums I ever got. Maybe I can think of, picture myself now when I hear that song, sitting in my bedroom listening to the summer of 69 in our first house, and it evokes those kind of memories. And music has that capacity, doesn't it? I, I wonder what yours is. Is there a song that does that for you, that brings back powerful memories for you, and that somehow then actually stirs your soul some way? Why is that? Why, why is it that music has that ability? I don't know, but it does, doesn't it? It has that ability to remind us of things, to stir emotions in the very soul. And if you've ever wondered why we sing so much in church, maybe, maybe you're a church person, you've been a church person for a long time, and uh, you're very used to this whole idea of singing when we're together. And even then, though, maybe it crosses your mind from time to time. You think, well, I wonder why we do all this singing. Or if you're new to church, or if you're exploring faith, or maybe you're here for the first time, first of all, you're so, so welcome. But maybe you have that kind of question as well. Why do they sing so much in church? Well, through this series that we're doing over three weeks, starting, we started last week, and you can catch up with that on YouTube, and we're going for the next couple of weeks, we're, we're talking together about this thing called worship, which so often manifests itself when we're together in the life of a church as singing. We're thinking about why this is important, why we do it. And I, I think it really is important, because for all of us, whether we're Christians or not, we all worship things, we do. And we all worship someone or some things or some group of people. We do. And I think there is a war that rages for our worship. Let me try and explain what I mean by that. We do all worship something or some things. Maybe for us, it's family or career or money or sex or chill our children or material possessions or sports teams. We all worship something. And, and if you want to know, I think Alex said this last week when she started this series, if you want to know what you worship, follow the trail of your time and your money and your resources. And at the end of that trail, you'll find some of the things that you worship. And there is a war raging for our worship because everybody or our society or our culture is trying to encourage us to worship the thing that they would want us to worship that's important, that's going to get us to spend our money or give our time to or our attention to. We are all worshippers, and there are lots of things competing for our worship. And in the first part of this series last week, Alex asked us this question. She said, is what we are worshipping, if we're all worshipping something or someone, is what we are worshipping worthy of it? Is it actually giving us anything back that's life-giving and life-enriching? 
Or is it just taking from us? And Alex said, one of the things that happens when we worship the right things is that it resets our priorities. You know, your time and your energy and your passion and your enthusiasm, they are powerful things, but they are also limited, right? You have limited time, limited energy, limited enthusiasm, limited passion, and you can invest it in things, but you only have a limited capacity. Is what you and I are investing, our time, our energy, the the precious commodity of those things, is what we're investing them in really worthy of that investment? Is it really worthy? Is it really enriching and enhancing our lives and our eternal destinies? Now, today we're thinking about another reason why God is worthy of our worship. Because last week we said God is worthy of our worship because God will enrich and inspire and enhance our lives, both now and forever. Today we're thinking about another reason why God is worthy of our worship, even in those times when we don't feel like worshipping God. In the New Testament, there's an account of the life of Jesus, written by a guy called John, one of Jesus' first followers, and actually John was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. And in chapter 4, we find John telling us about this extraordinary encounter that Jesus has with a woman. And it really is an extraordinary encounter. Jesus was gaining in popularity. Crowds of people were beginning to gather to hear him speak and to hear his message and so on and so forth. And his his message was gaining more and more traction. But the religious leaders of the day, they didn't like that very much. So he was having to move around to stay out of reach of them. And one of the the, the trips that Jesus was making one day to kind of stay uh, on the move, to stay on the run almost as it were, he was taking a trip from Judea to Galilee. And that would take him through a region called Samaria. And it was a dangerous region region for, for Jews like Jesus, the group of which Jesus was a part, because the Samaritans, those people who lived in Samaria, and the Jews, they hated each other. They did not get on. So it was a dangerous trip, but it was also the shortest route. So Jesus got to a place called Sychar in Samaria around about midday, and he sat down by a well to get some water. And as he was resting, a Samaritan woman approached the well, and Jesus asked her for a drink. And this was her response in chapter 4 of John's account, verse 9. It says this, A Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So Jews and Samaritans didn't uh, get together. And uh, add on top of this, in the culture that Jesus lived in, men and women didn't usually meet on their own either. So this, for a whole load of different reasons, was uh, uh, an encounter where Jesus should not have been talking to this woman. That would not normally have happened. But Jesus uh, does talk with her, and they enter into this conversation, and uh, it gets to uh, talk about spiritual things. But first of all, Jesus asks her for a drink. And, uh, and then, when he's asked her for a drink, they then enter into this conversation where uh, Jesus responds to her and talks to her about this thing called living water. Living water. And Jesus uh, uh, explains this to her, And then the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to get water. So her first response to Jesus was, uh, Why are you talking to me? Because we shouldn't usually be talking. Her second response was, 
Well, Jesus, will you meet my need? So her first response is, we probably shouldn't be talking, but okay, now we're in a conversation together. So her first response was, okay, let's connect. Her second response was, can you meet my need? Can you give me this water that you've been talking about, which she doesn't really understand, but if you give it to me, it will mean I don't have to keep coming back to this well to get water all the time. So first response, we can associate together. Second response, meet my need. And then Jesus says to her, well, why don't you go and get your husband? Because Jesus has got an insight into her life. Why don't you go and get your husband? And she says, "Uh, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus knows about her by now and says, "Uh, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've got five husbands, which is a gentle way of Jesus saying, you're sleeping around. That's kind of what's going on there. So Jesus, I know you don't have a husband because basically you're, anyway, yes, sleeping around. That's probably the best way to say that. You're sleeping around. Jesus is seen into her life and that she's hurting herself by her life choices. And we continue with this extraordinary encounter, but none of that is where I want to concentrate today. It's her third response in this encounter, once Jesus starts speaking into her life, that I'm really interested in today. The first response, remember, was, okay, we can associate together. The second response was, meet my need. Here's the third response when Jesus talks to her about her life. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Her third response is, who are you? I see something in you. Now, because of this encounter, she starts to recognize who Jesus is. And she, because of that, begins to draw closer to God. And then they get into a conversation about worship, which I think is fascinating. So it goes on. Our ancestors, this is the woman speaking, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So she says, in our religion, in our faith... We go to a mountain to worship what probably would have been thought of as today as like pagan gods. We go to the mountain to worship. But she says, I've also, but I've heard about you Jews. We go to the mountain, but you go to Jerusalem. That's where you go and do your worship. And she would probably have been thinking there about the temple because that was the heart of the Jewish worship. It was the place where God resided, the place where the priests were. And in, in the Jewish faith, in order to connect with God, you had to go through priests. Priests were the mediators between you and God. They, they helped you into the presence of God. So you had to go to a particular place, meet with some particular people, and if you did all the right things, you might be able to enter into the presence of God. Jesus says this, Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying there is a time that is coming where the place that you worship or the tribe that you are a part of doesn't matter anymore. That is not what is important. And actually, Jesus, I think, is doing a really interesting thing here. He's creating common ground between the Jews and the Samaritans. That the place where you worship, for the Samaritans, the mountain, for the Jews, the temple, they aren't important anymore to either group. It's who you worship that's important. And for the Jewish faith, I mean, this was just the most extraordinary thing. Now, this is only a conversation that's happening between two people at this point, but this was a conversation that would start to happen in much wider groups of of people, much wider circles. And and for people of a Jewish faith, this was like going to blow their minds, 
that where you worship wasn't important anymore. And indeed, when Jesus died on the cross, we're told in the accounts of that, that the temple curtain, this big heavy curtain that separated like the people from God was torn in two. So God could now be accessed by anybody, anywhere. Didn't need priests anymore or dividing curtains or anything like that. That curtain had signaled a barrier between people and God and that was no longer present. It had been ripped apart because of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. And then Jesus goes on. The place where you worship is not important anymore. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. So now we get into a thing about, well, who are we worshipping then? Uh, You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So Jesus is saying where you worship isn't important, but who you worship. And you can know them. You can know God. You can know who you are worshipping The Samaritans were worshipping gods that they had never known or met. Jesus is saying that you can know God because in Jesus, who'd come out of the Jewish people, in Jesus you can see God and know God. We can worship something and someone that we can really know. And then the final thing, if worship can happen anywhere... If worship can happen, uh, 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 worshipping God, because uh, the one who we can know because of Jesus, then how we worship, our attitude of worship, is really important. And this is what Jesus touches on in the last part of this conversation. He says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The Father, that is God, is looking for these kinds of worshippers, people who will worship in spirit and in truth. That's the attitude that God is looking for when it comes to worship. And and this really strikes me when I read this. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is seeking worshippers, seeking to know people and be in a relationship with them. And what does spirit and truth mean then? If, if this attitude is supposed to be about spirit and truth, what does that mean? Here's what I think it means. Number one, truth. Truth means being who we are, not denying our feelings, not trying to d- deny how we feel, not trying to put it to one side, but actually being genuinely true to ourselves and who we are and what's going on in our lives. So, you know, when life is hard, it's not about trying to hide that or whitewash that or or somehow blank that over when we come to worship. It's about expressing that to God, telling God that's how we feel. And and it's okay to do that. You see this over and over again in the story of God in the Bible. In the Psalms, for example, those amazing poems that are in the Old Testament part of the Bible, we see people raging against God when life is hard. Expressing their emotions and their feelings to God. If that's how we're feeling, then there's no need to hide that from God. It's what worshipping in truth means. Being authentic to what's going on in our lives and to how we're feeling. But the other side of that, truth on its own is not enough. Because there's another side to that, which is to worship in spirit. And that allow the spirit of God to be in us and through us in our worship. You know, the spirit of God, the presence of God, has various names and titles in God's story. The Spirit of God is called comforter, life bringer, encourager, peace bringer, enabler. 
See, to worship in spirit means to be able to experience those things from God, to experience comfort and life and encouragement and peace and enablement from God. The Spirit is the one who enables us to worship God however we are feeling. Sometimes people ask, how can we worship God? How can we sing songs of praise to God when things are going on in our lives that leave us feeling like that's the last thing we want to do? How can we sing songs of praise or worship when it may feel to us that God is somehow mean or cruel or uncaring? And the answer is here. That we worship in spirit and in truth, not denying those feelings, denying, not denying those things that are going on in our lives, but enabling the presence of God, the spirit of God, to help us worship God anyway. And as we do that, the spirit of God moves in us. In worshiping God, in singing or speaking out to him, in singing or speaking out words about him that we might not feel, we are actually drawn closer to God And we realize maybe that God is actually seeking us in that moment to bring comfort or peace or life. You know, if you want to draw close to somebody, what do you do? Right? You spend time with them, right? You you acknowledge them, you appreciate them, you value them for who you are, you value their qualities, you're thankful for their presence in your life and for them. And drawing closer to God is no different to that. Spending time with him, acknowledging him, appreciating his qualities, that's worship. That's what we do. And singing is not the only way we worship God. That's not the only way at all. But singing is a great way to worship, particularly when we're together. Because music stirs us. Ruth and I went to see Les Miserables at the Bristol Hippodrome on Friday evening. I had forgotten how incredible the music is in that musical. I hadn't seen it for years and years and years. And it stirs us. I, we, I would, like, there's all these emotions going on as we're watching and listening to that musical. Music is, is, it does something. It stirs something, which is why we use it in our services. Music is memorable. We remember the lyrics. Again, if I could sing, I could sing some of the lyrics from some of the songs in Les Miserables to you right now. But that's usually best kept for alone in my car, I tend to find. Music is memorable. We remember lyrics. And that helps us. That's why we worship. So when we go out from this place or we we finish our service online, we go out, we remember some of the things we've been singing and it reminds us some of the truths about God. And we sing because singing is a fabulous corporate activity. That's why people do it at football matches and rugby matches because it's a fabulous corporate activity and it unites us. So why do we sing so often uh, when we're together expressing our worship to God? Because song worship draws us closer to God and to one another, no matter how we're feeling. Our faith and, and our God are not dependent on how we feel. They're dependent on who God is, the God who endures, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, no matter how we feel. And this is the God that we can know. And the things that we sing, we believe are true, even if we don't feel them. And as we proclaim them, the spirit and the truth draws us closer to God. Even though we might feel sometimes that God has let us down, singing helps us to cling to him and the truths about him. God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
If we're excited about God, we sing worship to him in thanksgiving and praise. If we feel let down by God, that we don't care about him or he doesn't care about us, then we sing worship to him because as we proclaim the truth, we are drawn back to him. If we feel that there are more important things that we could be doing with our time than joining with others in corporate worship, we do it anyway because it encourages and it encourages others. If we feel that we're not fussed about singing worship to God, we sing because actually God commands us to. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to know this. The second most common command of God's story in Scripture is sing. The second most common command. So why do we sing? Well, for all of those reasons. But also because sung worship draws us close to God no matter how we're feeling. And I want to encourage and inspire us today to make our sung worship a priority. Whether that's online or here when we're on site together. Because being together in that way for sung worship is so important, whether it is together on site or online. In a crowd, we encourage and inspire one another. We lift each other. Coming together encourages and we cheer each other on. We need each other. I need you. I need you to show up because when I'm down or have doubts about God or wondering what's going on with God and I hear you singing, and I join in with you, it encourages me, and it reminds me of who God is and what God has done. And you need me to show up and do the same for you. We need each other. So let's make our song worship a priority and a focus. Why do we sing? Well, last week we heard because it sorts out our priorities. And here, today, we sing the second reason we sing because sung worship draws us close to God, no matter how we're feeling. Let's pray, shall we? And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for all that you have done in our lives and, and who you are, most importantly of all. And that even when we don't feel like singing, even when we're wondering where you are and what you're up to and what's going on in our lives, we can still connect with you and find truth about you. Lord God, I pray and ask that you'd inspire us and encourage us to be worshipping people. And we know that's not just about singing, but in our togetherness, in our corporate gatherings, help us to sing in spirit and in truth. And to, as we do that, Lord God, to draw closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.